0: Episode 5 of Risk Cheese Radio, where we specialize in horological hot takes, taboo topics, and often unpopular. Watch opinions. My name is Schmidt, and I'm joined by my fantastic co-host. You guys know him. You love him, Mr. Brodinky. Bro, what's going on, my friend?
1: Uh, You know, it's a big week for me. I know in the last episode I mentioned I did a lot of pods, and they're all dropping this week. So that's kind of cool. Um, Even one that was kind of sort of off the beaten path, a little personal, biographical, etc., little bit of a different look for me, but uh, shout out to my buddies, uh, Matt and Greg, over at Spirit of Time. Thanks for having me on that. Uh, so far, lots of great feedback on pretty much all our episodes, which has been pretty cool. Uh, people it seem has. to be uh, enjoying the fun with us. I think they might just enjoy that we seem to have a pulse. <laughs> okay. <laughs> or all right. it could just be all the fun hashtags. Hashtag Hazzy Boys.
0: Hashtag Hezzy Boys. It's already
1: taking it's, off. It's catching on. I, People are liking
0: hashtag Hezzy Boys. I've seen the DMs already and I'm liking it. You guys yeah. who are following us and, and listening every week. Thank you guys for, for spreading this in and and uh and keep keep
1: spreading the love. And for those for those keeping score at home, Hezzy Boys H-E-S-I-B-O-Y-S. I know I like the I spelling for boys, but it just looks stupid with the repeating I. Sorry, I'm not going with it. It's it's a Y. So H E S I B O Y S, hezy HESI Boys. There you go.
0: There you go. There is the official spelling. There it is. You heard it here, Mr. Brodenki laying down the law. Hashtag Hezi Boys. So everything's been good, man, huh? Yeah. We're how about all you? All right. Uh, I've been okay. Family stuff is going well. Work stuff is going good. Um, as they say, it's just another day grinding it out. And here we are, episode five. I. I was pretty sure we were going to get canceled after episode one, so making it to five is is pretty good. icing so on the cake, baby. On. We're just going to keep on trucking, but it's uh, it's been a good ride so far. Absolutely. So, so um, <clears throat> you had mentioned to me kind of an uh, in passing and in talking about today's episode, exactly what we're going to be thinking about is kind of a new topic, and you know, often what we really try to to, to aim for here on Rich Radio is just Mentioning and covering things that are a little bit different, things that, that really haven't been addressed in the community before, and, and kind of shedding some light on our own personal opinions, kind of about the industry and everything that's going on. So, with that said, bro, do you want to
1: kind of introduce what we're going to be talking about this week? Sure. So, this was somewhat inspired by the recent Tudor drop. And for those that are not up to speed yet, we're talking about the Marine National FXD drop. We'll get into that in a minute, but there are just certain aspects about the watch and just in communicating with people in my own DMs and whatever, we kind of got into it, me and multiple people kind of debating whether or not brands like a Tudor have the ability to do more and just simply are not, and it it feels kind of bad that... A brand that you're willing to spend thousands of dollars on maybe isn't pushing the boundaries, maybe isn't living up to their maximum potential because a brand like Tudor, they give you the original Pelagos, which I've spoken at length about. And it's an absolute monster. watch, right? And then they give you this one and it's got some, if you want to call them upgrades, but then there's certain things about it that you kind of scratch your head about, especially given its affiliation. And so it just generated this conversation and not just aiming at Tudor, but brands across the board, just, are they really trying to push boundaries or are they resting on laurels? So this episode is kind of aimed at just certain brands that we've picked off the top of our heads, but across the board, are there brands that can do more and are there specific ones that we wish would do more? And I think you have some, I have some, and we're going to kind of rattle those off.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, since you already, since you already dropped it in, you mentioned Tudor. Let's let's just start there. I mean, so what are your what are your thoughts on on the FXD? How do you think it is? A, uh, how do you think as far as a release for Tudor, how does it go? And what do you think we we should change or what
1: what is Tudor looking at here? So obviously, first impression, it's a slimmer watch, which is kind of a gripe a lot of people have with the Pelagos. Mm-hmm. Another one, it has less text, not by much, but it has less text. Another thing people sure. really dislike about the old Pelagos, not the two liner, but the chronometer one uh, in-house that is mm-hmm. right. It's no date. It's got a, a different type of bezel, multidirectional. And it, uh, that was, that was really weird for me. That was
0: one thing I didn't quite understand. And I, and I was looking at the website trying to figure this out. And I guess it's some type of way that the Marine National uses the bezel to kind of navigate underwater, Kind of through this like zigzagging pattern to make sure that they remain undetected if they're doing covert operations. Um, what was so weird about this bezel is it's bidirectional. Yeah, which is so counterintuitive to every single traditional dive watch bezel that exists today. And I, I could be completely off base with this, but I was pretty sure part of the ISO specifications for dive watches is that it has to be a uni directional bezel to pass ISO certification. So I don't even know if, if that is in fact the case. Technically, this watch might not be considered an ISO compliant dive watch.
1: Which would be which super would be, weird.
0: Which would be super weird. Um, but again, it's just like, I don't know. I don't know. I, I have my feelings about this watch and I'm just kind of like trying to process it because it's been such a recent release for us. We don't typically cover new drops, but this one was just it got enough kind of clout and, and and some intrigue around the industry that we had to kind of touch on it. But how do you think this one you know ranks up in comparison to the to the
1: Peli one and Peli two?: You know it's tough for me. You're taking the best part of the other watches off of this one, which at the end of the day is the bracelet and the clasp, and I've spoken about that so much and i think that's kind of a widely accepted thing now that those are really really great aspects of those watches and this one is not going to have that right on top of that you can't even really attach a rubber to this because the spring bars are fixed in yeah right so on top of that you're getting a longer case or at least a longer wearing case because you're going to have some overlap there yeah it's 52 millimeters lug to lug and your slimmer case is also a little bit nullified because you now have to wear fabric underneath it. Yeah. So that's kind of tough.
0: Yeah, and there and there is actually two straps. This is what I didn't know initially. There is two straps. There's I did kind see of the it. yeah. There's kind of the Marine National inspired one, which is the Velcro. It's a single pass through strap. Then they have the same design and kind of like a textured rubber. But again, to your to your point it's almost negated by the fact that you have a thinner case that now has to sit on top of fabric or on top of rubber to stay securely mounted to the rest. So I'm just wondering if this is indicative of maybe a commercialized, more civilian version to come. Maybe that's, that's coming down the pipe. And this, this is just kind of the, the,
1: the entry point for that. I mean, what do you think? What do you, how do you I think a like- lot of people, maybe even myself included, have their fingers crossed about that—that that maybe yeah. they made these case dimensions, not necessarily this case, but these case dimensions, not solely for this drop, because it seems like a huge waste from an engineering perspective. Yeah, but maybe they'll give you something with at least the capability to wear a rubber strap instead of just a NATO or or maybe even a bracelet, which would be tremendous if they could throw that bracelet from the black bay bronze the newer one with the mm-hmm. little spring-loaded clasp in it that would be sick so yeah. maybe they can make that in this titanium throw it on there and it'll kind of be something to satisfy people who want that smaller case who have been hoping for that pelagos 58 for so long it's tough you know the other thing that people seem to be really chapped about is the downgrade from 500 meter water resistance to 200. Yep. Yeah. Now, for me, does it necessarily bother me? No, I'm never doing that. I mean, I, I don't know uh, much about diving. I know you do. And mm-hmm. I, how often are you down that deep? Never. All right, then. never. <laughs> so, so let me. And, and this is a common misconception in the di-
0: in the in the watch community that you don't really understand until you start diving. Well, I know there's dynamic the,
1: pressure, right? There's like a it's so, like a sliding so, scale a little bit.
0: Yeah. So I mean, everything gets exponentially increased as you go right. down right there, it, it compounds but what's the most imp- important fundamental thing here that so many people don't realize about diving is the maximum certification depth for recreational scuba diving which is just your normal certification that you get you know open water or whatever okay is 120 feet oof okay 120 what, 40 feet. meters it's it's nothing yeah it's, it's like 40 meters, right? Cause it's, you know, you do the conversion, yeah. but it's 120 feet. Okay. And that is with a, 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 more advanced diving certification. So your standard open water certification that most people get at a resort or in Cabo in Mexico or whatever is open water. And that one is rated to 60 feet for normal recreational scuba. Because let's be honest, if you're going down and you want to see some pretty fish and you want to look at coral reefs and you want to look at something cool, those things only exist in shallower depths because they still need sunlight to grow. Correct. Right? They're, they're plants, they're, they're animals, they need sustenance. Yes, the, they get-
1: the coral is the basis for
0: that whole ecosystem. Exactly, right? So it can only exist in shallower depths. So all of these crazy things and stuff that like, Jason Heaton's doing, where he's diving, you know, shipwrecks, Wreck and going diving yeah. into yeah, going into the Great Lakes and stuff like that, is very complicated tech diving. Where you start jumping into alternative uh, alternative certifications, different types of mixed gases, things get very dangerous very quickly. But in some cases, you're diving beyond that 120 feet limit. OK, and that's where things start to change. The dynamic of traditional diving is changing. So anyone's like, oh, 500 meters or 200 meters. Quite frankly, you'll never, ever need any of it. It's all overengineered. But the idea is that at 120 feet, right, if you bump your watch into a coral reef, you smack it into a shipwreck, all of that pressure that's pushing onto your crystal, onto your case won't fail. Because it's been engineered to handle 200 meters right. okay. of water resistance, right? It makes perfect so it's designed, sense. It's designed to be over-engineered to, to handle pressure changes and things like that. So that's the thing that most people who, who aren't in the diving community don't understand about watches. But as you start kind of familiarizing yourself, it makes more sense. So I know for some people, it's a big letdown. It's like, oh, we dropped out to 500 meters. We lost the, the helium escape valve. All of that is, is completely not necessary 100%. You could be totally fine with a watch rated for 100 meters for diving. I mean, and, and I know, um, James stacy and Jason Heaton have talked about this at length. It's like you don't need 200, 300, 500 meters of water resistance, it's overkill. It's cool as a novelty, it's cool to be a diver that has that, but
1: it's not necessary. And it's weird for me, for the average Joe, I, I don't know why it's such a flex for people. It, It doesn't make any sense. (laughs) It's it's, well, I mean, again, it's the
0: same reason why people wear 44 millimeter pilots watches. Like you're not flying anything. You're driving in your car to work. I mean, again, a lot of this stuff doesn't make sense. But, you know, for me, I think the biggest attraction, as you pointed out for this, is, is certainly the bracelet. I think people would have loved to see this type of timepiece on a bracelet or have at least the ability to switch it on and off. But. I think the biggest thing that kills me about this watch and what I was really shocked to not see was the fact that it's not master chronometer certified. And I didn't immediately notice this initially upon the product launch, but somebody on Tudor's Instagram page dropped it in the comments. They're like, why isn't this one Meta certified?
1: Yeah, and that's when it hit
0: Yeah, I was like, and that's when it hit me. It's like, you know, they spent all of this money design, research, product development to create a master chronometer certified movement, which is not a simple feat, okay? A lot of people really doesn't, don't know what goes into this, but basically, it's a double certification. Every watch has to pass cost certification first because that's industry standard. Then it gets certified by METAS. METAS is an arm of the Swiss federal government that's in charge of all units of measurement for the entire country of Switzerland. They do all of the audit work for the, C- for the COSC's testing equipment. They do all of the audit work for radar detectors, traffic lights, any type of u- unit of measurement for the metric system. Wow. They control. Okay? It's like the IRS for measurement. That's really <laughs> what it is, right? So, Master Chronometer Certification was born. And basically, there's eight additional tests that every single watch has to pass in addition to the cost tests that they already passed. Okay. Now, I'm not going to go through all the specific A tests because you can look this up on Metas's website or Omega's website or Tudor's website because they certainly do talk about it. But the biggest thing here is the fact that the major test for Metas that you have to pass is anti magnetic protection. Okay. All of those watches, the movements and the cased up watch, fully cased, have to be resistant to fields greater than 15,000 gauss. Now, for all of my non engineers, Basically, Gauss is a unit of measurement for magnetism. It's also sometimes res- represented, represented as 1.5 Tesla. This is a pretty large number when it comes to magnetism. And why this is significant is because 15,000 Gauss is the average magnetic output of the standard medical MRI machine. So yeah. you go to the hospital, you go to a doctor's office, you go get an MRI done. It's that machine is putting out anywhere between 10 to about 20,000 gauss of magnetic exposure, okay? That is enough ambient magnetism that somebody could get pulled off of your body. That's how strong these magnets are, okay? Those types of, of outputs would quite literally destroy a watch by ripping out its escapement system, the pallet fork, the rotor, whatever you want. It would destroy a mechanical watch if it's exposed to that type of situation. So these are extremely high and powerful magnets, and these watches are completely uh, unaffected by them, which is no small feat. So for Tudor to go through all these great lengths, to to release already two timepieces that have this technology, right? The black-based ceramic they released earlier this year, and then the kind of one-off watch they did for Only Watch, which is a GMT version in a very questionable beat up looking black case. I don't know. It's not, it's not my cup of tea. But to go and do all of that and then not release a brand new drop with that movement technology, it, I don't get it. I, I'm
1: completely, completely confused. Yeah, it was almost like, like to show what up, is your, that we, we could do it and then yeah, where's you know direction? we can do it. We don't have to do it. Well, that's my point. It's yeah, like it's you weird.
0: already did it. You already did it. <laughs> And again, you don't spend all this money to set up this infrastructure to do something like this and then not release it in other collections or, or expand its technology range, right? Right now, Tudor's only got two watches that are Master Chronometer certified. This could have been the third, and yet it's not. And that's what I don't understand. And if you're really marketing this as the ultimate navigational underwater diving tool, why not add an additional failsafe of having a movement that's completely unaffected by magnetic fields? that would be the ultimate tool dive flex. And
1: for whatever reason, it's just missing from the equation. I don't get it. Yeah. And so I guess for me overall, I think I'm going to have to see it in person, but I'm leaning pretty heavy on pass. Um, I guess I'd like to I see how, how long it wears, how it rests on the wrist. I just, I'm, I'm not that confident in it. And I think, I think we're all just hoping for that kind of – standard production model that's maybe a little more traditional spring bars and everything so but I'm glad we're Fingers on crossed. tutor. I'm glad we're on tutor because that's who I want to lead off with. I think that's a nice segue. That is okay. who I want to lead off with as far as brands who I think should be doing more. Okay. Okay. And I'm going to kind of jump right on what you were talking about as far as questionable decisions because I think for starters they need to really clean up their I don't know, their think tank I don't know if it's their corporate team. Whoever's calling the shots over there, everything seems to get fumbled. This, even this announcement, it was announced almost a year ago. Yes, it was. Do you remember what happened? Not specifically. An- I, just re- I just remember this was, it was this announcement, and then all of a sudden mm-hmm. we got the Black Base Ceramic, and people were like, is this the Marine Nationale? No. Yeah. And it's been a head scratcher since, and all of a sudden it was like, oh, here it is. And you're like, oh, all right. It's, yeah. it's literally almost
0: been a year. Well, what's funny about this, and I don't, I don't know if anybody either caught this or remembers this, but I was messaging a bunch of my friends that are in the community when this was happening, especially people at editorial blogs, and I remember seeing on social media the teaser, the initial teaser for for the uh, for the Marine National drop, and everyone was losing their shit. Everyone's like, "Oh my god, it's coming! It's coming! It's finally! It's been." Decades since we Snowflake (laughs) re-release. Yeah, it's gonna be amazing. What was funny is literally within a day or two of that teaser announcement, Yema released a Marine National. Oh, yes, you're right about that. And it was a whole line. I made a joke about that. I definitely had several models. And all of a sudden, everyone was kind of like, "Wait, what?" It's like Tudor and Yema. Like, I don't, I don't understand. Like, what's happening? And then all of a sudden. Tutor like backed out. So I don't know if there was a double booking by Marine National between Yema and Tutor, or this was like a favor thing. Something happened.
1: Definitely sloppy.
0: Th- well, something happened. And, and I guarantee you, somebody got sued, somebody got fired. Like, this is one of those things that, like, this was a complete oversight Big snafu. Yeah. Yeah. It was it, it, I don't know which party it was, and I'm not gonna point fingers. But I can only imagine it probably wasn't Tudor. And all of a sudden, they just kind of like faded, you know, and like, you know, faded into the back, and, you know, like Homer Simpson in that meme, right? we just kind of like going into the bush. Into the grass. Yeah, going <laughs> to the bush. It's like, And then all of a sudden, it was like not, like a non-factor. And they're just like, okay, we're just not going to talk about it anymore. And so I don't know if this is like a legal dispute or a ba- like There's something that went down behind the curtains that we'll never be privy to. And that's fine. But Everyone forgets, like, that's what happened first. Like, Yama drops this watch within, like, a day. Yeah.
1: And all of a sudden, like,
0: Tudor's, like, gone. (laughs) Like, what
1: happened? And then check this out, right? So a couple months ago, a buddy of mine hits me up. And by buddy, I mean somebody who I'm friendly with over Instagram. Obviously, I've met a lot of people. Sure. So somebody who's friends with a pretty popular ADL West hits me up, and he says, hey, I got a lead. That in october there's going to be a big event and it's going to be the marine national drop event and it's going to be huge and they think demand is going to be so high that it's probably going to have to be like a raffle situation as to who gets priority whatever whatever so october's rolling through and i'm like dude is this going to happen and he's like i don't know i have to ask again turns out it's canceled okay Mm. i talk with him a couple weeks after he says hey I heard about that event. It's rescheduled for December. It's back on. Okay. Okay, cool. Yeah, dude, definitely the MN event. It's going to be great. All of a sudden, November 10th, bang, watch released. Here it is. Like, what is going on here? And I find out that December event, whatever it was, is canceled. And that, yeah, I think that's course. what it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be like a more glorified drop of this. And it's just it's just so I don't know if it's planning or execution or what, but like get it together. You're not a bargain basement brand here. You, you got some clout. Act well, like I, it, right? I,
0: yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with that. But you also have to remember who their parent company is. And their parent company is a company who quite literally doesn't give a crap about its clients. So why would Tudor be really any different? OK, when Tudor relaunched in the US, I remember I was like, OK. We're finally seeing some cool historic brand come back. We, haven't had, we haven't had it sold. We hadn't had it sold for decades. It's cool. The Black Bay launches. I remember seeing those original ads with the like the, the old school diver coming out of the water. And there was the, the red version. And I think it was red version and, and black version at that time. I don't remember. It was a long time ago. It's like 2012, 2013. But I know for sure the burgundy was there. And... It was like, everyone was like ready for Tudor. And it comes back and it's met with great success. There were so many black bays that were being sold. It was an amazing timepiece and everything. But it just like, at that time, it felt like Tudor was listening to the clientele. You know, like it was like, okay, we're taking community feedback, we're building new models, these things are coming out, and people are excited about them. And then all of a sudden, there's a switch. And I heard a few years ago that there was a CEO change at Tutor. like, like the original CEO that kind of like relaunched Tutor in the States, like is gone and they changed over. And I think that's when you start to see the switch where Tutor starts falling in line and being more like its parent company, not caring what clients say, not caring about availability of products, not caring about making things mass market available, i.e., Black Bay 58 bronze, like, oh, we're just going to release it in select Tudor boutiques. boutiques. Yeah. Yeah. If you're not near a Tudor boutique, then you'll never get a Black Bay bronze. They literally just opened one in New York City, yeah.
1: like, just now.
0: <laughs> I'm just like, it was like, but again, how many people are going to be trying to get that watch? Because you've funneled everybody into the same place. It's going to be next to impossible to get that timepiece. So, th- again, this is something that they're doing that's falling directly in line with their parent company. And if Rolex is any indication today about how they treat their customers, Tudor is going to be no different. So I, I can't say that I'm surprised. They just don't care anymore. They don't have to care. That's the big thing.
1: And I mean, look, they released a GMT movement with a date issue, right? Sloppy. They get things, for some reason, their stuff gets leaked like nobody's business. Even without David Beckham's help. Which is a whole other issue I have with them—that their brand ambassadors are terrible. Oh my yes. Well, I mean, what about that? Any of them says "Born to Dare"? None of it. I. It's so disjointed. Well, and I feel like there's potential. I feel like there's potential to capture a younger audience of watch enthusiasts to be like, "This is your brand, yeah. right? We have cool, younger, hip ambassadors that are oh, Born to Dare." No, it's Old Man Beckham who. Frankly, was most of the time not even the best player on the pitch when he was at his peak. Like, let's be real. Yeah. I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it across the board. I, you know, we, and we we got to bring up this ambassador discussion
0: on another on another pod at some point in the future because we've be we, we been we've been toying we've been toying this idea back and forth, and I think it's time to 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 record something about ambassadors. But you know, for us, it's just, or, or for Tudor, I should say, it's just kind of like. Again, I'm just not surprised. And, and then that David Beckham leak, where it was like... It might have been strategic, ago, but who knows? It, 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 it could have been. It could have been. And I, I have heard rumors through the grapevine over the years that Rolex intentionally leaked stuff to drum up even more hype. I could see right? that. I mean, again, you know... <laughs> if you're in the media it's always positive whether it's negative right or not it doesn't matter it's just like as long as you're being talked about you're being talked about either way so there you go but when you look at like david beckham making this kind of like internet snafu it's like did you not think that this was a thing like nobody from PR told you, like, hey, bro, you really can't be wearing this watch out right now. Like it's it's uh, not that's why a- it makes you feel like and, it was intentional. And like, and and, 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 then, and here's the thing. Having said that, maybe that's why that December event got canceled. Which would be because hysterical. I, because that, that leak happened, what, just a few short weeks ago?
1: Yeah. And then a rush to there, market.
0: Yeah. And then all of a sudden, boom, mid-November. Here we are. So there you go. I mean, I don't know. Things happen. You know, Tudor's making moves in, in, in many different ways, and they're, they're, they're playing in a lot, you know, with balls in a lot of different courts. So playing with balls. I hope for the best for them. I, hate, I, hope, <laughs> <laughs> I hope for the best for them. So I just, I don't know. It, we'll, we'll see what happens with them. But I think what people are going to start to see more and more is that Tudor is going to start inheriting the mindset of its parent company, even to a larger degree. And Tudor is going to try to move away less and less from being kind of your entry-level luxury, well-made timepiece. And now, well, you got to, you have to have purchased three Tudors in order to get a black Bay. It's, it's already happening. It's, it's very difficult to get these pieces and now they're going to make it even more so. So we'll see what Tudor is going to do.
1: We'll see what the future holds. Yeah. And I mean, before we turn them into a complete bloody pulp here, um, I don't know. My feeling about them is, I just feel like they have to make a decision. They have to decide whether or not they are going to be in the Rolex shadow or not. Yeah. And I feel like they probably are going to stay there, and it's just like the safe place to stay. And if so, they're probably just going to keep putting out kind of meh, kind of eighty that eighty percent complete, eighty percent of what we want time piece. Right. But if not, right? There are so many cool heritage pieces they have. Right. They have the Monte Carlos snowflakes the oyster princes with the big rose that ranger it's more like ten ish like there are yeah. so many cool and i know they redid a ranger but like the proportions are terrible yeah and that's what i mean percent complete like there is so much potential there and it's just kind of yeah. like well here it is buy it if you want it. it it it's only a tutor like that's the way it feels these watches should stand up on their own like those old rangers go for 10 grand that's not a that's Not a shitter, you know what I mean? That's a solid ass watch, yeah, because you can't buy an Explorer
0: One and you certainly can't buy a 1016. So, sure. yeah, I mean, of course, right? Like, so everyone starts looking for their thing. The other thing is, like, when, when Tudor subs out of nowhere were just selling astronomical price points because people we were like, Well, I can't get a Rolex sub, so let me buy a Tudor sub, and then especially a vintage one. they right, I remember when Rolex they were subs. sold. Yeah, I was like I remember when they were sold for just a few thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden, boom, 5 years ago, 8,000, 10,000, yeah. 15, all the way up. Now is, is just as just as expensive as their crown counterparts. So, I mean, it's just it's it's insane. So, to to your point and and we'll move on from Tudor because yeah. they're 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 a mangled mess on the floor right now, but TKO. <laughs> TKO, but it's just like, you know, I, I really hope for the best of them because they are a fantastic brand. I think you said it correctly. I hope they come out from Rolex's shadow because they need to they need to do something. And again, they just need to look into their back catalog and just start creating things again that were really unique and special. And I think doing that, people are going to be really, really, really turned on. So
1: we'll we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. All right. So moving on from there. I'm going to go with my next pick because it's, it's an affordable, it's an easy one. I think a lot of people are going to agree because I think a lot of people have experience with this brand. My next pick is Orient. And I know probably a lot of the people who are into higher-end timepieces are probably like, ugh, why am I even listening to this? But hear me out. A lot of us started with Orient. I know I've had Bambinos. I feel like a lot of people have had a Mako, a Ray. Those are beloved watches. Absolutely. And it's no doubt, it's one of the best watches to really get into automatic timepieces, quartz, chronographs. There are really a lot of well-made pieces that they make. Mm -hmm. The Bambino is a stellar dress option. I always just feel like their watches are just a hair off. Like, there's always some minute detail that is like, this is such a buy, this is such a buy, and then your hand goes on the mouse to click buy it now, and you're like, oh, and it's always like a date window cutting off indices, or in Arabic, or like a watch is just a little too big or a little too yeah. disproportionate. And like or, I know or, a lot or awkward lug sizes.
0: Yes. You're like, oh, Bambino, and you're like, nineteen
1: mil lugs. Yes. <laughs> what? And you know, I know a lot of their. I know some of their stuff like is based off of f- more famous watches. You know, the, the sure. some of the Bambinos are kind of Calatrava e. Yeah, but the proportions are just a little weird, right? They're a little bigger, yeah. a little more spaced and, and, out, and they change based on like
0: which Bambino you're getting, right? Like well, Bambino like six one or, renditions. Yeah. <laughs> the Bambino
1: small seconds is just like it's crazy, but yeah, yeah, and and then there's the Bambino. They finally made one in a classic dress watch size, thirty six millimeters, and you go on the the a lot of sites that sell it, and it's considered a women's watch. <laughs> <sighs> I'm like, that's, that's episode one coming back. Yeah. It just comes right back full circle, baby. (laughs) Yeah. So it only seems like there's these tiny flaws that kill the design for me. And I, I really, I like what they do. I really do. Mm -hmm. And if you've ever been a fan of the brand, they do a lot of really neat stuff in their JDM markets. And understandably it's, it's like their home turf. They're doing a lot of stuff over there. But if you go on those, like those famed, Japanese vendors that ship over here you can find a lot of cool stuff right and they have a lot of history they have a lot of those cool like angular 70s watches but again here's the thing they reissue some of them they made that SK mm. retro Diver. I don't know if, I don't know if you remember it it's kind of like an angular it almost looks like an AP offshore case or something and then it comes out and it's 50 meter water resistance and again like you said a lot of people will never test that but a lot of people aren't comfortable submerging their watch with only 50 meter water resistance. And yeah, as a diver, yeah. you expect a little better than that.
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure. I so, mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, man, I'm with you. And again, we're probably losing followers and that's fine. You guys don't have to stick <laughs> around. We're not always going to talk about hierology. We're talking about the facts. We're talking about every man. This is the, this is the, the, the podcast for that. So don't we're going to talk never about an <laughs> I, of course I have No, no not I you have. I'm just saying Oh yeah yeah I was like I was like, yes of course I have But you know We talk about everything we will run the full spectrum So to, to, to piggyback off On what you said You know like most people is like I've had a Mako Right like who hasn't had a Mako And it's it's just as ubiquitous As like the SKX right like there's the There's that 50-50 camp you either started yeah. with, a, with A Mako you started with an SKX It's kind of the idea but To your point I think you know there is a lot to be done because again, Orient, they're an incredible brand for their price point, right? They always have run these little sales and coupon codes and it's kind of funny, but what's unique about them is they really do have real history in watchmaking. All of their movements are technically in-house made, yeah, which is truly impressive. They're all vert- vertically integrated. So like they're making every component, every aspect of that watch. It's all Orient. Like they're not sourcing it out from anybody, which is so weird, even at that. Under $500 price yeah, point. Yeah, very right? strange. Like, and, and, and we're talking like low, 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 <laughs> under $500 price point. Um, you might as well be an Invicta. It retails at $500. You can buy it for $150. <laughs> there's always a deal, baby. There's always a deal, right? So it's just like, it's a fantastic timepiece. But it was always like, the thing I always thought that was weird with Orin is like, like you said, there's always something a little bit off. Like when like the Mako Ones came out and used to have like the pusher. To yeah. like why (laughs) like why do i need a pusher to change the date and it's on a dive watch so let's just keep adding holes to the case yeah to maintain structural case integrity hopefully it doesn't leak right like yeah exactly like more gaskets like i don't understand but it's just so funny because you 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 see these things and i guess maybe because we're we've been in this this game too long we may have we may have developed little bit of snobbery here and so we're very kind of picky with the kinds of things that we want because I'll be honest with you uh I had some college roommates of mine back in the day and they were getting into watches because I was in the watches and so Orient was kind of becoming more popular at that time in the U.S. and so I kind of was starting to position my buddies to this watch and one of my friends ordered a a Mako 2 and it was the upgraded version looked really nice it came in I was like damn like that watch looks really hot and he's just like, yeah, it's like, I love it to this day. He still has it. And that's his daily watch. He doesn't care that it has an extra weird button on the side that changes the date <laughs> to him. It's cool because he's not a watch person. Like, he's just a guy who's like, I wanted a nice watch. I, this is how much I can spend because I'm a broke college student. And this is what I got. And 15 years later, he's still rocking the same piece. So, you know, this is that's what's special about these kinds of brands is they, you know, we often criticize them too much because we really have nothing better else to do. But at the end of the day, they are still producing a good product that the average consumer can really enjoy.
1: Yeah. And for me, honestly, it's been a great, a great watch to uh to give to people. My father-in-law, he's an attorney, got him a Mako too, loves it. My coworker got him a Mako too. Loves it. He went to. He said. He told me he went to go buy a car, and the guy thought he was wearing a sub from far away. And he's like, he felt like a million bucks because he's like, dude, the guy could. He confused it for a Rolex, and I was like, well, I don't know how he did that, but it, it's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and he my, sees he sees the friend, bezel, and
0: he's like, ah, it's got to be. The my same other thing, friend right? told him
1: that he was blowing smoke up his ass so that he can get an easy sale out of him. <laughs> Maybe. Who knows? Who knows? But uh, yeah, why don't you lay uh, one of yours on me here?
0: So so speaking speaking of kind of entry level launches, and it's so funny because in talking about this with you earlier, we were kind of like recapping everything before the show, I'm like, we are the same person. We have the same <laughs> list. it's like it's so weird. So you said Orient. So my thing was Seiko, right? Seiko for me is is kind of where I really cut my teeth in the launch game like many of you And I know yeah. you're a diehard Seiko fan. oh I am. Um, but specifically for me, where my targeted kind of thing is is not necessarily with Seiko as a company because, there's too many models. There's too many price points. We would literally be here forever. Oh, sure. I, want, I wanted to focus on the new Seiko 5 sports models, the ones that are kind of like the, the, the SKX, you know, spiritual reboots, if you will. Yeah. So for me, I think like most people, some of our first watches were SKXs, right? The 007, the 009, the, the 013, or my personal favorite, SKX and almost nobody owns the 173 which is the best reference in my opinion (laughs) Um, but anyway so there were so many of them out there we cut our teeth with those and what, what I really loved about this piece is it was affordable extremely affordable it was automatic day date right a true diver's watch right unidirectional rotating bezels screw down crown 200 meters water resistant ISO certified tutor Looking at you. (laughs) And it was like, you know, you pick it up on eBay for like 180 bucks. It's good. You buy a couple straps, these, you know, and you're good to go. Like it was, that's the thing, right? And, you know, this particular watch um, ran for such a long time before it was officially discontinued. And it was time. It was time to discontinue it. But my biggest beef with this is what they replaced it with. These new SRPD models, like, they look great. It's a very kind of sophisticated-looking SKX, right? There's no longer any orange text or anything like that. It's very clean. But then you neutered it. Like, no luminous bezel, no screw-down crown, no water resistance, like, that's anything diving-related. And yet, it looks like a dive watch. Yeah. And the thing that I thought was so strange about this is – I would have happily paid more money if you had been like, all right, we're, we're going to do an SKX relaunch, but we're going to do Sapphire crystal. It's going to be an upgraded movement. And here it is. But it's $200 more. I don't think anybody would have cared because eventually you're going to find them on eBay for the middle price point of that. Right. Yep. So let's say it comes out at 500 bucks. You're going to find it on eBay for 300, right? 250, whatever it is. And, People would have been okay with that. But the issue is, is you created this spiritual successor. You made this giant line. And and there's so many references now from when they first launched this, this new line that it's just like, I can't even keep track. There's like Street Fighter versions and like all these weird like amalgamations of different things. But it's just like, I feel like there's, we're getting to the point where there's less and less really solid, stable pieces to get into right? To start watch collecting with. And it's getting harder and harder to find these pieces because they keep getting more expensive. And so we're losing some people. And there's no longer any SKXs out there anymore. Like, what do you do? Like, what do you
1: buy now? Like, I don't even know what to, what to suggest to people anymore. And it's tough because and- a, a turtle is a, a very specific wearing watch. You know, that's I wouldn't recommend that for everybody. No, it's big. It's a, it's a big watch. And, you know, and they only go up from there.
0: Yeah, and it's a unique design. And then you look at like a samurai or a monster. And again, very distinctive styles that not everyone's going to love or appreciate right off the bat. The SKX was really kind of utilitarian. And it was really kind of across the board that everybody could keep in their collection. And what I love the most about it is that you had seasoned... Watch collectors who who are collecting nothing but Paddocks these days, and they still had an SKX in their box because it was just that that good of a watch. And we just don't have anything that fills that gap anymore, right? It's just like there's nothing there. I mean, again, the Seiko Five Sports models that, that are diving inspired, like they look great, but it's not a dive watch. It's it's confused. It doesn't know what it is, and. For me, it's just like I, I have a hard time recommending it because I know what it could be, and it's not that.
1: And it doesn't need much to get there either. No. Screw down crown?
0: The water resistance? Like, I don't <laughs> understand. We, we decided not. Uh, how did you take away the luminous dot? Like, was it really that hard to put it back on the bezel? Yeah, really. It's like we're just going to put a triangle, and it's like hope for the best, I guess. But again, you know, the people who are picking this up with this watch of a Macy's, they don't give shit.
1: They don't care. It just it is what it is. And I'll be honest, that, that SKX Jubilee was a total clunky little thing, but I still prefer that to the newer Oyster.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and well, I'll say this. That, that's why my favorite model was the 173, because it was like the anti-SKX. Yeah, it, it had was a the, bit. The, It was cool, man was so cool. It had the squared markers and it had my favorite secondhand. I don't know what it is with Seiko and these weird like loomed counterweight second hands. Like why can't you just put the dot at the end like everyone else? <laughs> because that's what makes sense. That is my biggest complaint with my modern Seikos. Like my turtle, it drives me nuts. Um, my, uh, my Seiko Patty 62 Moss like drives me nuts. I, I can't stand it. I'm just like, I look at it. I'm like, why is it not on the other side? It's like, if there's a Seiko modder out there that can change this for me, please <laughs> hit up the wrist cheese radio DMs and let's make this happen because this is the biggest reason why I can't wear these watches. The loom is on the wrong side of the second hand.
1: So hit us up in the DM. All right, moving on here. Let's bang on this one because we both landed on this one separately. And it was, I think it's a, a common consensus if you said this to people. Which one of these watch brands do you think could do more? Let's talk Tag Heuer. Okay. Yes. Yes. I mean, tons of heritage. You have racing legacy. You have a pretty decent following of people I know that like Tag. Mm-hmm. Oddly enough. It's just weird. It's, it's like they're kind of stuck between department store brand and Wisp brand, and it's kind of just like a a tug of war. I don't know what to call it. But you have these chronographs that they make that are super cool, right, and have tons of heritage, the Monaco's, Carrera's, Octavia's. And I had a friend who had an Octavia, and yet, are they big? Yes, but it was cool. Like, I was like, yeah, I I would wear this. Yeah. And then they come out with Super Mario smartwatches. No, I was so
0: confused. Again, this is just one of those brands that is confused. It has, as you mentioned, an incredible history, an incredible lineage. lineage. I mean, producing some of the most iconic chronographs ever made. And you listed them, right? The Carrera, the Monaco. That was the world's first automatic water-resistant chronograph in a square case. Like, that's a pretty big deal, right? Then you had the uh, the Altavia, the Skipper all yeah. the different types of calculator watches that they made over the years, not like physical calculators, but with scales and things. Um, an amazing, amazing brand with amazing history. Um, and that's just touching the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more with their uh, micro girders and all the other types of chronographs that they made over the years that we won't get into. But how do you go from that to making a connected smartwatch from Mars? I don't get it. I don't know who your target demographic is. I don't know who your audience is. And again, as you pointed out, like, are they trying to be like a youthful, like entry-level luxury brand? Or are they trying to be like serious hierology? Like, who is your collector bit? Who is your consumer? Because I don't even know at this point. And I thought a couple years ago that it was now targeted more towards like younger millennials, Gen Z, that kind of thing. I don't, I don't know anymore right because like all of a sudden ryan gosling gets picked up as an ambassador (laughs) rocking a carrera and it's like it is yellow suit i was like well you're you're kind of an older guy at this point now but you're still kind of cool you're the guys right but like who who are you going to influence because it's not going to be gen z like i don't i don't know but i guess super mario is gen z i you know i'm confused I
1: just don't get it and I, I didn't like no I didn't know what to think when I saw they because they kind of teased the Super Mario collab and so what yeah. I was secretly hoping was they were gonna make a racing Chrono with a Mario Kart theme because it's the where else were they gonna go what were they gonna do with yes. Super Mario yeah I, I thought it was gonna be like a gimmicky like something funny with like mushroom pushers or something and it could have been like stupid and playful that you could have just like laughed at but like somebody would have bought it yeah, of course. I have no idea who is in, in line for a Marius. Well, I, it, I know it was a limited
0: edition and they all sold out. So obviously they convinced somebody to buy these things. I don't know who. Shout out if you have one. Kudos to you, I guess. We'll
1: yeah. see if that watch
0: still works in two years when the, when the firmware needs to be updated and it's no longer compatible.
1: But hey, you know what? Good on you.
0: I just again. That's
1: the problem: is you can't always measure nowadays based on what sells because everything sells because everything is a speculation play. Yeah, it's true.
0: It's like, oh, I know it's going to be rare one day. I'm like, is it though? Like, who knows? The market could fall out.
1: Right. We we did get it. We did get a DM about the Tudor North Flag maybe being a ten thousand dollar watch, and and they're going up.
0: I've been checking the prices on the North flags and they going up, but again, it's just the whole, Oh, discontinued. Like, uh, okay, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, who knows? I just, I just wish tag. I just wish that they would refocus their direction and focus on making their watches, but making them, you know, wearable size. Like they have their new Carreras. Some of them are like 44 millimeters. Like, Who is going to wear this? Like, why don't you make a standard Carrera at 40 and 42? And that's it. Nobody needs a 44 Carrera. It's massive. And when it's all dial and still 44 millimeters, like it's, it's overly massive. So it's just like, focus on going down, focus on more historical pieces, because you have such an incredible history to focus on. And Make some cool stuff like your new night diver tag. If you're listening out there, young CEO, 26 years old, if you're listening out there, your new night diver is cool. I saw it in person I tried it on. It's an amazing watch. I love it. The rubber straps are comfortable as hell. It's a really cool piece.
1: That uh, that has the the luminous dial. Is that what it is? The full loom dial. Yeah. Yeah,
0: the full loom dial. It's an amazing, amazing watch. So if you haven't seen one, go check it out. If you've been on the fence, it is really good. I love the watch. I think it's really cool. That to me is a positive tag direction but the thing that killed me on this watch and i pointed it out to bro before we started recording this podcast it's bad it's for so it's for some reason i don't know who designed this it says aqua racer above the logo of tag hoyer so when you read the dial it says aqua racer tag hoyer and then the rest of the text
1: and can we keep going down can we go down further
0: like, it Please. doesn't make any sense. Like, I don't know why. Like, this is literally like art school visual symmetry 101. It's now like inverted. And again, the watch is not the Aqua Racer Tag Hoyer, it's the Tag Heuer Aqua Racer, right? So it's like, it doesn't even, it, it's a whole thing. But other than that, if you can get past that mind bending symmetry, you will love the watch because it is actually a really cool piece.
1: Unless you get an Aquarius with that weird six o'clock Cyclops.
0: <laughs> don't, don't even go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> don't even go down that rabbit hole to six o'clock Cyclops. Ugh. But, was, but that was only on the titanium models, right? Or was that on, on the standard production?
1: Studio? You know, I'm really not that familiar. I just know I saw it and I was like, ugh. It reminds me <laughs> of like when you see cartoons of like, old people where they have like the wart on their chin that's exactly what it reminds me of oh god
0: oh,
1: i can not see
0: th- that i don't know if i'll ever be able to unsee that now that you mentioned it <laughs> sorry that Dag. Thing. take that thing off uh, what were you
1: doing but the aquarius is not a bad looking watch no it's not I, it's a really it's a really solid and they make watch. some time only stuff that's not bad looking but like it's they it's exactly what you said focus focus and yeah. streamline focus and streamline and that's all they yeah, have it's to like do. So look, Tag, we don't
0: need you to make 45-millimeter carbon tourbillons. Like, it's not your bread and butter. Like, it's okay. Stick to doing stuff that will make you guys good, right? Focus on your career line. Slim down your chronograph sizes. Make them more, you know, kind of retro-inspired because that's a timeless design, and you'll sell it. Like, that's just, that's just what it is. Your aqua racer can be cool. It's a little bit more of an edgy diver. I love the angular case. The Angular logo on the back looks cool. It's a good-looking watch. There's no question about that. But don't start doing all these crazy off-the-wall things because every time I turn around, it's like Tag is moving closer and closer to being like a baby Ublo. And the same thing with Zenith. It's like everything's like moving to Ublo's direction. I'm like, guys, these are three different brands. They don't all need to look like Ublo, Okay? We don't need giant... Forge carbon integrated tourbillons and all that stuff. Like it's just not necessary. Slim it down, tag you'll do better.
1: What do you got next, bro? So, those aside, those are my big ones. And aside from that, I think it's just certain expectations that we are hoping for. And it's across many brands. But for example, I know like within my many group chats that I have with different circles, there's always like the oh, I wish Grand Seiko would make the sub killer finally, and like it's not just them; it's it's a lot of brands. Oh, I wish they would make this finally, and, mm-hmm. and a lot of those brands. Like I don't consider Grand Seiko someone that rests on their laurels, but they they're fully capable of making a banger of a diver, and they're just yeah. they they constantly release these big ones. I've, and again, I've I've heard them, I've heard their um, employees speak about how. Spring drive kind of commands a thicker case because it it needs more housing and such. But maybe it doesn't have to be a spring drive. Maybe you can just make a diver in something less than a 43 millimeter and make it competitive.
0: Again, they make high beat movements that are not spring drive. Like It doesn't have to be spring drive. You already make a high beat. okay? So why not just pluck one of those bad boys in there? and put into a 42-millimeter dive watch case and be done with it. But no, you're going to release a waffle dial monstrosity hamburger slider-sized watch, <laughs> and you're going to expect people to buy it. I think I, I have a buddy of mine who owns kind of like the best Grand Seiko diver. I think I don't, I don't know Grand Seiko references, but this is from years ago. It's discontinued now. But it was a white dial black bezel diver but it was quartz and the proportions on that watch are just so good it's like man if only it was mechanical this would be a sick watch and it just no they're gonna re- release a 45 millimeter grand seiko monster it's just i don't get it i don't understand and the thing the thing is that, I, that i'm thinking about is like who in japan is wearing these
1: yeah, it doesn't really fit that whole kawaii culture thing.
0: Yeah, it doesn't make it doesn't make sense. You know,
1: that's that's always the thing I've wondered. Like, who's wearing this? It's not me. There's not any collectors I know. But yeah, you know, you know they can make a good looking watch. You know they can make a good movement. You know that they have styling. Yeah. What's holding them back? I have no idea. Nobody knows. Nothing. Because they're just like nothing. Why have we not got this watch yet? Can Can you please? Make something to rival the Samariner because not that we can get one anyway, but it would be nice,
0: <laughs> bro. It's just because they're counting all the different seasons of the year. OK, there's a lot of Listen, seasons in Japan. There
1: are more out. than we have. Yeah,
0: there's a lot of seasons.
1: So that's kind of my last gripe, I think. I don't really have another brand I want to throw out there, though there are many. I didn't want to. I don't want to harp too much. I feel like I could go on a little rant about Breitling here or there, but I, I appreciate what they're doing. They're, they're kind of making moves, and I, I like that about them.
0: Yeah, I mean, they, they, they are doing some cool stuff. I mean, I think it's a little bit more innovative, it's a little bit more edgy, but maybe that's what the industry needs.
1: Yeah, I just um, sometimes
0: their prices creep a little high for me. I, they do. They do. I mean, their 01 calibers is over $8,000 minimum. And by this point, now it's a pretty old movement. So. It's interesting. It's interesting. I don't I don't know again, I don't know what their direction is, but at least they have somewhat of a cohesive focus. It's like what they've been doing a lot recently is these capsule collections. So they'll release something in kind of an edgy format. It's only available for a short period of time and then it's gone. Right? Like and that's if you didn't get it during that time, it's not necessarily a limited edition. It's just like we're releasing a capsule collection. This is for summer. It's here for 4 months. Once we exhaust that four month cycle, While supplies last. Yeah, it's like it's gone. It's just like it, it is what it is. So they did this most recently with their um, their Super Ocean Heritage Fifty Sevens, but they did like the pastel capsule collection for the summer, um, and those are now you know slowly starting to fade out. So it's interesting. It's interesting. I, I again, Breitling's an interesting brand. They're doing some cool stuff. Um, It's nice to see that they are doing unique things, but at least they have a cohesive
1: kind of direction. So that's good. That's good. Yeah. And so, I don't know, I guess it's I've tried to surmise kind of the cause and effect here. And I guess it's because watches are kind of so hot right now that. Like I said, a lot is being bought on speculation or even just boredom. The whole pandemic thing, a lot of boredom buying. I like that Mugatu situation you got going on there. (laughs) But a lot of, (laughs) there was a lot of boredom buying, a lot of investment buying. And so maybe whether it be because of the economy turning down or what, when buying cools off and markets maybe start to condense a little, maybe we'll start to get brands feeling like they have to make a splash again. And you might get mm. some things that feel like they're pushing those boundaries again and maybe getting things that people have been clamoring for. And so I guess right now it's just kind of a, I guess, a chicken and an egg situation where if people are buying your stuff, you're not going to innovate because why? But I guess if people stop buying your stuff, you're going to say, hey, 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 wait a minute. I got some cool things we're coming out. Maybe. Yeah, I, don't I,
0: I don't know. I don't, I don't know if so I agree hard. with that. I don't know if I agree with that because I feel like there are brands that do it. Again, we've talked about this. I'm an Omega fanboy. Everybody knows it, but to me, that's a brand that's constantly trying to innovate.
1: Well, and I had this written down: is that there are brands, but I feel like because they have stuff to gain, like I feel like Omega has something to gain because Rolex had has vacated that space of the watch, sure. the go-to watch for celebrations, for you know that that quintessential oh I'm buying a diver I'm buying a sub I want to buy an exploration watch I'm buying an explorer you can't what am I buying yeah. well I'm buying a Seamaster 300 now or yeah. 300 you know M whatever it is I'm going there now because what's the next logical situation yeah I mean hell yeah. if James Bond bo- wears it it's good enough for me right right and so I do I did have that written down that I feel like they're the brands that are making those moves are the ones that feel like they have something to gain or something to prove yeah. And so that's where you are getting that innovation. I mean, how many crazy movements to, has Omega released recently, and how many, you know, different dial variations and stuff do they have on the Seamasters that you're like, oh, that's really nice. Like if I was in the market for a Seamaster 300M, I don't know which one I go with. The white is awesome. The blue is classic. You have so many options, but I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, I mean. And
0: this has always been a gripe, and this is completely unrelated to the topic, but I've always heard this gripe on the forums, different Facebook communities, all these different things. It's like, Omega has too many references. I'm like, so you're saying Omega has too many options for you? Like, since when did options become a bad thing? Right? It's like, I understand that maybe sometimes it could be confusing to kind of know what is what. But that's not Omega's fault. That falls on usually the salespeople who you're talking to that maybe don't know everything about these watches, right? So for me, it's always been like, hey, when I go into my, uh, my AD and I, and I meet with my salesperson, and I look at my watches, like I kind of have an idea what I want to see. But what's unique about these things is there's so many different options to choose from and to play around with that I can really find something that is unique for me and different for everybody else. I've never seen that as a bad thing.
1: Yeah, and I don't know how you can. I mean, if you want to talk too many options, I mean, there are plenty of brands that do that, but I feel like a lot of them are the ones that kind of are sold also in department stores or, you know, I love Seiko. Seiko has a ton of models. Sure. So so much so that there are references I still have never seen that I come across and I'm like, when did this come out? I can't say that that's happened with me for Omega.
0: No, I mean, but again, I think for a lot of the community over the years is that they were dealing with maybe less than educated salespeople or salespeople who weren't really comfortable presenting the brand because they didn't have to present the brand. Why? Because everyone was buying Rolexes at that time. And so now you're having people that are having to educate themselves on a brand because it's the only thing they have to sell. So I think you're seeing it change. You're seeing the consumer interest change, which is all good stuff. You're seeing all of the brands outside of the crown and its affiliates doing really well as well. So I just think it's beneficial for the industry because now you're finally giving people the ability to have exposure with something that they may not have otherwise. And I think that that's really solid for the industry.
1: Yeah. And I think there's no question industry is doing well right now. Top to bottom, right? They're, they're moving watches. Exactly. Exactly yeah um anything else left on your end
0: no i think we pretty much touched on it i could go you know several more hours but i don't (laughs) think our listeners are going to be wanting
1: to deal with that so we'll call it uh for tonight but yeah i'm not not sure our monthly bandwidth would uh, allow that so (laughs) there you go there you go Uh, all right on that note ladies and gentlemen it's been a pleasure we'll catch you next time on Risk cheese radio peace bye